Lifers by Grant Meyerhofer. Read by Mia Ellis. My name is Lyle. I'll leave it at that so far as I dee. I'll go on, however, to say that, if you're feeling generous, I may contain multitudes. I'd like to think this way. I'd like to silence the doubt of me and scream it out in gold hands full. I may be dense with potential. I may desire the entire world. I'm a failure in so many words. I'm tired of feeling this way, and so I'm trying to contain those words myself, to write them out. I want my feelings to be expressed so I might move on from them. I should like to be rid of me. I want to put some distance between myself and this place wherein I find myself. Other night I went to the gas station only to find lips and eyes still caked with black makeup. I keep a feather from my mother's boa tucked against my breast. I might sing to myself in the mirror until I'm bored. I live in sorrow. My days are full of thorns, people, and bosses. I tend toward the sad, the weary. I'm an avid person, though, romantic, even. I want to contain the world. I am a male, but I would like a womb to contain the world. I'd like for my eyes always to be smeary with experiment and mascara. I should be so lucky. I think I've slept for most of my days. I don't mean it literally. I mean the stupor. I mean that as I graduated high school, as I saw my youth pass, I had these glazed eyes and didn't care to open them beyond mere ability to see. Sometimes this can happen. Sometimes people aren't meant to express themselves in any recognizable way, any acceptable way. My father was, by and large, this way. He had crazed tendencies, I gather. He'd left the house under certain pretenses, returned under others. He was always shifting shapes, Nobody but my mother tried to keep up. I think this is what happened anyway. I was sleeping. In retrospect, I pass no judgment on the pair. We are the lot of us a working class, and each of us ought to be allowed our nightly ruts. I spent a long time needing to escape, and found it in the beds of lonely old men and women, from each I'd keep a souvenir and affix it to the inside of my leathers. There was always quiet after in their bathrooms where I'd pray. I'd torture myself in slight degrees with ever-tightening metal barbs. Lately, I've returned. I work now at the high school where I used to hide away. When you're young, everybody's terrible. When you grow up, Everything's terrible. Something changes between these in that things get worse, darker. Mostly, however, they are the same. Each day I put on gray coveralls that you have seen. I push a cart that was given to me by an old man. This old man, my predecessor, had lost his wife. His kids were away, succeeding. This old man had lived a full life before this work. Then, losing his wife, his children, he found himself wanting. This old man sought work and found the position he'd occupied for seven years before I took it on. He trained me for a few weeks and then supervised, then left entirely. I think he might be dead. The cart holds a garbage can that I'll fill three or four times each day, depending.
Kitchen staff attend to their cans, and I'm grateful for it. Some days, events, or come what may, I might focus primarily on trash. The school isn't large. It would take an event or more to fill my can beyond three or four times each day, I'm saying. I remember when I was younger, going here, and we'd attempt to fill the can from distances with paper cartridges of milk. These were shaped like ships or small homes. We called them cartridges and lofted them into the janitor's can as he'd walk by. Looking back, he'd never register this. Even once maintaining composure when my cartridge of chocolate milk pelted his chest and landed. I'm now more understanding of his intimacy with death and suffering. So, anyway, I don't live in my father's basement. So, anyway, I've got my own place. I'm fairly certain the person who lived here previous was a criminal, a felon. He left quickly, and so far as I can tell, the rent plummeted. My neighbors paid dearly. I pay a pittance because some crook likely opened his scalp where I eat my dinners. Give and take, sure. I spend my days, when not working, walking around this area. I like to grab a pizza, maybe, or Chinese and sit with it staring off. I'd like to say I appear as some kind of threat. I hate this town, is all. I don't think that's what happens, though. Sometimes people recognize me and laugh. The worst is the high school kids. They'll get pizza themselves, sure, Chinese, whatever. They'll be out to eat and talking and talking and building their lives together. They'll look over and see me. It's often tough to stomach. Then, after this, then, I'll often try to make for the city. You understand, I hope. This town where I work is small, but aware enough. They talk, you see. They'll talk and all of them. I'm not a fan of talkers, I'm a fan of light. So what do I do? In my room, I go to the closet. There, I've hung them and others. Most nights, I've got these leather pants, sure. I've got my t-shirts, I've got my boots. They shine a bit. I'll put these on and sort of air my hair a bit. Somewhere when I was younger, I loved Kiss. Now they're just okay, mostly morons. I think maybe that's where it started, though. So I'll put on black lipstick. I'll put on eye makeup and smear it down. I'll light some Salem's and put on my music. I'll put on pentagram, I'll put on venom. I'll put on St. Vitus and sort of air out. I'm tall, you see. My outfit's black, my pants are leather. Living when I live, then it can be tough to feel free. So where to go? I found some places. I like the leather bars on karaoke nights. Mostly people there will want a pickup. It's fine, sure. I've made with men and women. I've dated a bit. I don't go for this, though. I like the sounds. I like to feel a speaker press my body. Sometimes a burlesque, maybe, but... Often I'll worry about teachers on a whim, bored depressives with obvious hard-ons. Have at it, I mean. I'm okay with all types. I just want noise. My favorite kind of night blurs the whole thing. These barflies from the 70s and 80s 
had taken it upon themselves to give strange metal bands and such their due. Having no patience, however, for meatheads and fascism, they catered to groups of outsiders who'd play pool and dance, drink and come together, take drugs or write their names on walls. Some performance endeavor rumored to have been Prince's fallback had his tenure at First Avenue proved too tame. And these bodies took it upon themselves to keep his assless chap seat warm. Good citizens all. I'd like to state, however, a pressing thing. It took me fucking years to find my way. Where I worked, forget it. You find all sorts of lonely gentlemen after hand jobs and parking lots. I partook. I'm grateful I partook as I was lonely too, but something always missed. I sat in audiences at drag shows and queer karaoke nights and otherwise square bars with no sense of welcome. I wore out my eyes on the internet until having eventually to masturbate myself to sleep. It took me fucking years. I used to read a lot about New York and wanted to go there. Before AIDS and before David Warnerovich had to sew his lips shut and before the murder and definition and language seeped through everything. I wanted bodies in rooms and their voices muffled against what? A shoulder or bathroom divider. It was my way home of seeking peace, I think. I was always performing. I don't know that this is a bad way to live. We have jobs, right? We have accounts and ways of being sought and keys to apartments and homes. We have children and responsibilities and worlds. I feel that we earn performance through this. Even brief stints of fucking in cars, bodies blurring. The more I worked, the more I drenched myself in black. The more I lived, the more I became the fiction. On the day in question, I had found myself hiding frequently at work. This happened often. I became tired of the same faces staring at me as I pulled their stuffed plastic bottles of trash from drinking fountains and whatever else. I'd clean the bathrooms thoroughly then. I'd work my way from floor to ceiling with bleach and whatever materials I had in decent supply, as all of this was arguably necessary. Students were superficially disgusting. Teenagers were superficially disgusting. They'd cake layers of themselves onto the tiles, and this could be a chore to get removed. What I was doing didn't matter but looked appropriate enough. I had let life reach me and get to me, and all I wanted to do was curl up someplace institutional and weep. I'd been to hospitals. I'd been a dumb, dumb boy. The tears would well. I couldn't weep, though, so... I did as I've suggested. I put things off as long as I could to get my work done. I smiled at my boss, and I made sure every bathroom looked excessively clean and jotted somewhere that I'd done something of necessity. At night, however, I might be free. I went to the gas station near me on walking home and purchased a tall can of cheap booze. I don't often drink before arriving in the city, but I was feeling rotten. On arriving home, I removed all of my clothes from work. I paced around my living room, smoking and cursing the day before opening my booze. 
My bathroom is small and dimly lit. My body looks all right in dim light, I think. I looked at myself. I pulled my hair back and made lips at myself there in the dingy mirror. I ran my hands up the sides of my frame and felt my ribs warmed a bit with pleasure or sex. I put liner on my eyes and smeared it down, kissing the mirror and leaving the day's worker grease. I put black lipstick on and stood briefly on the tub's ledge staring. Then, pulling on my leathers and a too small shirt from when I played baseball as a boy. The shirt rose up just above my navel, and as I hunched over to pull on boots, I felt it stick first, then rise above my spine, my lower back. The feeling of worn fabric against me that smelled like smoke and perfume was enlivening. I wanted more. I think about stories I could tell. My father could tell stories, could lie. I wonder about this. What creates a tendency toward fabrication? Is my split a fabrication? Would I be better off in therapy than writing out my thoughts? Where do I start and end if my need for writing is purely selfish? I have nothing to say, and I'm not even whispering it. I do not have answers. But in the car, I listened to Whitney Houston. I find what I think of as her transmitted vulnerability empowering. I'll often sit and listen to her in the bath and hold my chest. When she died, my sister called me, concerned. I was sitting in the bathtub with the lights out, humming to myself. I'll occasionally obsess over this sort of voice. <sighs> I left town and drove to the city amid lights and drank at my can of booze. I'd ease my arm out the window and let it sway there on the wind. I'd smoke with the other as the can cooled my crotch. I felt feral. I felt set free. I felt my body boiling up with all the misery of my days and the stares of the students, and I ran it out my hair. Stared at myself in the sundown mirror and the running makeup, performing. I wanted to quiet my head further, so on arrival I drank several vodka tonics and sat sneering from the bar. I felt the booze warm my gut, and my mood began to lift, yipping maybe toward a nice oblivion as the room filled up with barely clothed bodies, kissing and sucking at each other. Men running hands over one another or women twirling hair to rhythms. Everyone reaching some fluidity and pushing to the edges of objection on leather and neon fabrics, only to be pulled back. I sat and watched until the pulse of it warmed me over. I went into the bathroom after writhing against some fleshy bits and denim and found two gentlemen coupling. They were taller, like myself, so it wasn't trying to see them in the stall, pressed to the wall and howling. The music in there was slightly quieter, and thus I heard their groans as I stared into the mirror and ran the sink to wet my hands. Eventually, I noticed someone crouched in the corner of the space and turned to see. I haven't made a point of meeting many people where I work. I don't care for them, nor they I. This is as it is. I am okay under these circumstances. This person I'd seen, perhaps, helping around the office. Perhaps 
guiding buses toward the end of day. I can't and couldn't recall, but I knew her and knew her from work. I walked to her and registered a horror peeling the skin of her face back at being alive. Her eyes bugged out. The swelter of the room became heavy and miserable then. The gentlemen the stall over persisted in their fucking. She looked at me and didn't seem to register a likeness, a sufferer with which to commune. I went to the sink for water and wetted a paper towel, returning and pressing it to her forehead. Her skin was pale. She was sweating incessantly. She smelled medical. I tried to touch my hand to her cheek to check the temperature there, encourage some level of identification. She grabbed my wrist and began pulling me toward her. I stood and she came with me. We stood together, and she seemed barely to note the gentleman in the stall near us. I don't know or care much for drugs. I drink and have partaken. Little more. This was something horrific. This was all the world pressing at my chest. I felt my fingers. They were dried up. They were shriveled. I couldn't make sense of it. I'd run them underwater a while. I'd been sweating. I felt my chest heave and wanted to collapse. The girl wanted to leave. I could see it. She wouldn't vocalize. She grabbed my wrist again. We walked together through the black and swelter, the light and drink, until the cold night air shocked something into us. I felt myself coming together. I felt myself falling apart. I vomited there, or somewhere, walking toward the parking lot. I vomited and it hit the knee of my leathers and I only know it in retrospect. She pulled my wrist. Next day, maybe, I noticed redness there. She was quiet. Her hair was short, brown, but slicked in spots against her skull. Her shirt was white and not ripped, but mangled against her chest, small gut and arms. She wore a coat and dressed in pants and shoes as if she'd only just left the school to come here. Her hands were shriveled and I felt them abrade my wrist and slither. I wore my barbs high up on the right arm, and they caught briefly at the back of her coat. I suppose she had a car, as mine was only caked with my debris. I don't remember coherent things then. I remember laying back or being fully prone on her back seat. Our legs, however they needed to be, to mash us there. I remember staring up at the back window and feeling calm through its fog, its slightly frozen coat and her hands against my ribs. I do not think that she and I, in fact, fucked. Both of her cold hands, though, these pressed against the sides of me and held me there and she made no recognizable sounds. She made groans, sure. She perhaps whispered things against me and sweated through her clothes and mine, imploring me to stay until the light. I felt the sickness of bile at the back of my throat and through to the next day. I can still feel the cold of her seat against my head. I remember knowing something. I remember the sounds of those gentlemen and wishing life could be that simple. I recognized her and felt pulled to her. I don't know what my sense of responsibility was that night. I might have called 911, though I found no evidence the next day. We might have fucked, sure. 
I have experienced memory loss. I have missed days of my life staring off, asleep, not caring. I can piece together fragments only. Fragments of her wrists, say. Fragments of her hair and its slickness against my cheek, my mouth, the whispering and grunting at my chest, the howling even. These are my memories. This was an anomalous moment, a night that doesn't fit. I found myself in complete lack of control, and things seemed to spiral out in front of me. Perhaps she wanted to die. Perhaps she'd found that room to hear people fucking nearby so she might die near them. This makes sense to me. I can appreciate this impulse. Perhaps someone drugged her and she barely escaped. I trust the people there, but I have a male body and there are differences. Bars and clubs vary in degree of insidiousness or threat, perhaps. I'm uncertain how to piece anything together in retrospect. I only remember the window. I only remember the gloss of night and the armor of our coats around us as we held there against whatever death. I woke with her stomach's skin against mine. Cold but for the small strip where we touched. I worried she was dead. Then my head felt like it was being crushed beneath the sea. Then a drunken bubble rose, and I smelled vomit. I must have spoken with her, but all I remember is her mumbling. I must have sat up and tried to figure things out, but all that stands out are the lights on driving home. I think I spoke to her. I think I sat her up and made sure she could function well enough. I would have looked for something to straighten her out, a bottle of water maybe, or a bit of food. I would have tried to do these things. I'm not sure which things I did and didn't do. I hoped that I did everything. I woke later and still hoped that I did everything. I don't know how to advocate or speak for another. I couldn't have made her situation better or worse. She looked like me. Her hair was matted in memory, her clothing a messy sprawl of unkempt materials. I remember all of it looking like escape, the both of us seemingly wanting to flee. I don't remember what we said or whether we touched more on waking. I don't remember if she was okay that night or what. I don't remember feeling any relief or vomiting in my walk to my car. I only remember the lights as I began to surface driving across a bridge to my town. I remember sitting at a McDonald's terribly early and drinking cup after cup of water and coffee, slowly putting myself back together, only long enough to return to my small home and fall asleep, caked in sweat and ugly smells until the afternoon. Later on that week, when I saw her outside of school as I walked my can toward the large dumpster, I felt nauseous. I doubt if she recognized me. When I woke up from that night and looked in the mirror, I might have been any anonymous body soaked in strobe and the mud of people. It didn't matter if she recognized me. I walked by and felt my anonymity. I felt myself return to my youth in that hell and was calm and glazed over by the notion, asleep, and it started at the eyes. Bells rang, and children abounded, 
Groups assembled themselves at the doors of classrooms wherein they'd make minor messes throughout the afternoon. That evening, two shows were being put on and I was asked to keep things orderly afterward. I'd accepted gratefully as things had felt amiss since waking in that car. I was always fairly close to death, I figure. I had never seen someone OD, and this was something to process, maybe. I was feeling my whole world curl in on itself and become ruinous. I tended to ruin. I was a ruiner. I moved the can across the sidewalk having left a numbered door and made my way past the lot of them leaving to lives filled with people. That night, I might dress myself or lie on the floor naked to feel my limbs sprawl out. That night, I might open the windows and let in the cold to touch my skin. That night, I might drink myself stupid and feel aligned with planets. I wasn't sure. I walked by and felt the identifying touch of stomach as I passed her. Everything seemed okay. Everything would be okay for me in turn. This has always been my problem. These have always been my problems. I'm always gnashing my teeth against the low guts of life, only to rise again to my mediocrity. I await the weekend when I'll perform. You're listening to Fiction Transmission, a project of Fiction Collective 2. FC2 is a nonprofit author run publisher of innovative fiction, a literary alternative since 1974. Every week, we bring you a story and a conversation. You just heard Lifers by Grant Meyerhofer from his book Drain Songs, published by FC2 in 2019. Next, Grant is joined by writer Lucy Corin, author of 100 Apocalypses and Other Apocalypses for a conversation across the cosmic distance of isolation. great story it's, it's a beautiful story uh i read it and then i listened to it that was my process mm. so um i wondered I, I mean one of the things i was wondering is just um i mean i thought it was sort of brilliant to have a woman reading this character mm-hmm. and i wondered what you thought of that choice and what it did to the way that you heard your own character's voice because it's a voice-driven story and so when you were writing it, did you have like a sound in your head? And especially because this is a person who um, has some some non-specific gender identity too, where, you know, he, he calls himself male, but he has a different idea about himself and he doesn't name it in terms of any of the identity names that we have out there that some people um, find meaningful he he doesn't attach himself to any of those but like so did you hear it as yeah how did you hear his voice when you were writing him and was it gendered i guess i wonder the first thing i thought of when you were asking that was the um the line in the prince song i would die for you where he says um i'm not your woman i'm not your man i'm something that you'll never understand Mm -hmm. um my friend who's a musician, um, and, and he sort of, I guess, exists in this, this kind of space between identity stuff and, and a lot of his work is, is very electronic and, um, 
if there are like words assigned to stuff, it's it's in this kind of abstract, like kind of like the um, Edward James almost character in Blade Runner, where he speaks a, a mix of uh, a bunch of different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that line from Prince and just kind of that idea, it was something that me and him had talked about a lot. And this was definitely a story where that was something that I was interested in this, this what kind of Gordon Lish's ideas were about putting a story together, especially with something like this, where the voice is the thing or one of the things. Um, So it's kind of put together like sentence by sentence. So I don't know if there's a voice necessarily, but like if a sentence veers off into somewhere I don't know about or something, my goal is to follow stuff like that and i think that so it's almost like a a reverse engineering of a voice Hmm. maybe yeah i mean i do always think of lish as being a sentence by sentence person but i also like in my own writing practice i think that some of my sentence some of my stories are very um sentence they're built like that Mm -hmm. um and i feel like it's more it's connected to for me to like collage traditions of writing, mm-hmm. except that you make up all of the pieces of your own collage. Mm-hmm. And then, but then I think about my voicey stories as really different ways of writing, that it is more like what you were saying in the second half of what you said about following a sentence into mm-hmm. an unexpected territory, which feels very separate from the Lishian w- words as objects that uh, create characters because of the way that they are like what that gas essay that on character where they the words create the character because of the sort of um alchemical thing that words do by Mm -hmm. via grammar you know um and i think it's funny i think of them as like really different writing experiences for them and there are certainly some stories that have like moments where i'm like leaning more one way or the other when i'm making it but um but yeah they really do fall into pretty discreet like that's a story that I built and that's a story that I followed. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's apparent with all your stuff, but especially in everyday psycho killers, um, there's like, it made me think of the, um, the Angela Carter, uh, the fall river ax murder story mm-hmm. where kind of the weird appeal of that story is that, by the end of it, you feel all kind of hot and uncomfortable and um, which I think is sort of the, the conceit of it where it's, it's giving you the sense of how Lizzie Borden might've felt with like, there's images of meat rotting and stuff. (laughs) And I feel like there's a lot of that in everyday psycho killers, definitely where we're, so inside of these situations, whether it's like the lady uh, working at the high school doing the attendance stuff um, or or the actual like scenes of violence and they kind of work together to make it uncomfortable, but you still kind of follow it and you don't feel like, oh, I want to stop reading this. It's just like a really interesting sensation. It's true that uh, I've read a good amount of Angela Carter not long before I wrote that book. Mm. But um, it's also been a long time. So I'm trying to think like, I mean, I think that for me, fiction writing is all about trying to imagine as intensely as possible an experience that you're not having. And so like I set aside what I think about that experience, you Mm -hmm. know, like whether I, I think it's a nice one or not a nice one. But if I'm interested in the experience, I think that the next thing to do as as somebody who's interested in something and and thinks that fiction writing is the way of the world, right? <laughs> like if you think that fiction's the answer, which I do, um, then the next thing you do is you you try to imagine it as intensely as possible as an experience. And then you try to um, use words to um, to hold it or something, you know, to like, it's not holding it very against the idea of words, capturing things, but like, um, to like have the experience through or with, you know, to like using words to help you imagine as deeply as possible. 
an experience mm-hmm. that you're not having. Um, and so that I think is like the whole point for me of writing. And, um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's not, to me, it's not connected to whether the topic is violence or not. It's any, it's any of the, it's, it's the point of any of the sentences. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I wrote down, um, while I was looking, listening to the story, I wrote down, um, a list of things that you wrote about in that story that, um, I have written about at some mm. point in my life. <laughs> and I thought I would read you my little list mm-hmm. and see if you wanted to talk about any of them. <laughs> uh, the list is, um, high school, um, heavy metal or whatever you call it specifically in relation to high school, um, a sexuality that won't name itself, the iconic mouth sewn shut image of David um, Warnerovich, bathrooms. I've been really interested in bathrooms and there's those two key bathroom scenes in this story. Mm -hmm. Um, For you, like I wrote down gas stations because I, I thought it was so key that they came up the way they did and then didn't get, um, lingered on, but mm-hmm. I felt like a little spark of the gas stations. And I've never written about sca- gas stations, but it made me think about why I would write about bathrooms and not gas stations. Mm-hmm. Um, drinking to shut your brain down. Um, janitors, maintenance workers, custodians. Those are slash marks because the word choice is like hard too, I think. Um, milks and like M-I-L-K-S, right? Like the chocolate, like, because they're, they're called milks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not called milk um and work having a job work as a thing and that word gets used so often in that story in ways where sometimes i was not even sure if it was always referring to his actual job as a custodian or if it was referring to like like sometimes it almost felt like like the work was i don't know connected to the idea of going out at night as a form of performance mm-hmm. um i thought about that too and then I thought too about like gifts. I know you never mm-hmm. use the word gift. And you know, I don't know, you said a huh. So you don't ever use the word gift in the story, but I thought a lot about like how um what he does for this woman that he finds in the club, um, who never knows, who doesn't recognize him later, mm-hmm. you know, that like that from her perspective, he would be some kind of like some form of angel, you know, um, and, mm-hmm. and that what he does is some form of gift. And I, and I, and I thought mm-hmm. a lot about, um, I've tried to think about gifts in a way that, that, um, that rang some bells for me. So are you interested mm-hmm. in any of those things more broadly? You are wearing a joy division shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I'm not remembering the, um, the person's name, but the idea of the wound and the bow. Um, I mean, at least kind of on the wound side of it, there's this understanding of um, writers kind of always picking at certain like old wounds or something to try to to mine or or do something interesting with. And I think that a lot of those for me are tied with that like i don't there's there's been a lot of movies where it happens but and and tv series and stuff where someone will have an emotional moment kind of looking in the mirror in a bathroom um and there's another there's another story or no it's included as part of the the novella at the end where a girl is like after having a lot of bad stuff happening and she's walking around drinking wine and like lost custody of her kid. And at one point in the story, she stands in the mirror and shaves her head. And there's kind of this, I don't know. I I do think of stuff like that as maybe not like literally religious, but the same way there's that book um, that likens anorexia as it was under, I think the book was written in the nineties and sort of, the behavior of monks and saints. Um, I forget the, the name, but it, it draws comparisons between kind of girls in, in the nineties or, or people in the nineties with eating disorders mm-hmm. and religious mm-hmm. figures from the past. 
and I think that that like that linkage is is really interesting to me. Uh, whether it's I mean someone like fasting or the image of like an emaciated body or something, or putting on makeup and and sort of changing one's appearance. Um, for me, they all feel like. I mean, if, if religion isn't necessarily the thing that's going to be our, our kind of guide anymore, then, then, and, and if, like you said, like if you've come to the personal conclusion that writing and art can kind of fill that, that space, then images like that, or even, even music or, or just the character of the outsider, um, somebody who just doesn't fit somebody who also is not like, I don't fit. So I'm going to go to therapy and they're going to give me these tools. And so I I don't, I'm not interested really in like a story that's set up like that, but I'm really interested in a story where someone at the beginning is kind of like fucked up. And by the end of it, they're just kind of deeper within that or something, not necessarily. So I decided then to go on Prozac or whatever. Um, And, and so stuff like heavy metal, stuff like high school. I think just because that's when I started to get interested in the idea of writing as a lifelong thing, um, that those are my, I don't know, talismans or something or or my little pieces that I carry with me. And so I I tend to revisit them and, and think gas stations, like it, when you, when you mention gas stations, I thought of the, um, I think it's in the third Cree Master movie where uh, Gary Gilmore's car is, I, I think they're two Mustangs or something and they're outside of a gas station. There's like fog around it, but the Mustangs are like, they're put together with, I don't know if it's like fiberglass or something. Um, but I think that, I mean, that's an example of of the kind of gas station image that stands out to me just because I mean, they're so busy and they're so filled with people and there's, I mean, some people getting booze, some people getting cigarettes, some people getting eggs or whatever. Um, so I am, I mean, I think it being drawn to something like that is the same as being drawn to the figure of like the worker or the custodian, um, which is probably tied to, to like the, uh, Henry Darger and, and, the idea of this this kind of quiet figure who went to church a lot, lived by himself, working at this big project. Um, but something about the fact that he was a janitor mm-hmm. really stands out to me when I think about his life. Because doing the little menial stuff that he was doing feels similar to doing what he was doing as an artist, putting together these books with maps and images all over the place and writing something that's sort of sustained and, and quiet and almost kind of like modest. Um, but that devotion to me feels like, like kind of a, a tie to, I mean, what people used to talk about, I think related to like religious stuff more so. Yeah. I don't know. Is there stuff that was just, a, a few weeks ago, because we were, I used uh, the yeah. New American Stories um, that Ben Marcus edited, and a few weeks ago, we were, or they read your story, and we were having conversations about, like, kind of a lot of mm-hmm. stuff about the fragment um, and what fiction writing is positioned to do now. When other, because sometimes people are very disheartened like oh everybody's just watching tv who cares about writing but a lot of writers and i feel like you're one have responded to it by saying okay what can tv not do what can like what could writing on the page do then and i feel like you're that story and and i mean and your first book with fc2 they're good good examples of doing something that i don't know even like I mean, listening to them would be compelling, but there there is something to the the process of engaging with them that feels, I don't know, like like you're tapping into the right stuff. Yeah, I um, 
I do really think that what I want, uh, what I want writing to be is what only writing can be and mm-hmm. other things can't be. You know, I never believed in the thing that like art forms replace each other. I think mm-hmm. that, um, but I do like, I do think it's a really, I do think it's a really helpful distinction to ask like of, um, to ask of fiction to do the thing that fiction does so mm-hmm. that, you know, for me personally, I don't have to feel like I'm cheating on fiction when I go to the movies mm-hmm. or when I watch like, you know, seasons and seasons of bad television all at once. Like I'm just mm-hmm. doing something different. There, there are differences from like where your where everyday psycho killers kind of went compared to the newer stuff. But I mean, there's, there's commonalities too, but I guess, and I didn't, I wish I had thought to put together a list like that. That was awesome. Do you feel like there's stuff like that, that has stuck with you that, I don't know if, if you start to think of an idea for something that focuses on, I don't know, swimming or something that you realize, or you feel like that's not like your comfort zone, but, Mm. but it's going to hold your interest. Is there stuff Mm. like that for you? Well, you know, I think of the realm of the adolescent as a safe space for me. And it's part of why that story, Mad Men, is like a teenager talking. And Mm -hmm. so is the, so is, um, you know, the vast majority of everyday psycho killers. Um, It's from that, that space. And um, it's been really good for me when I'm going to, my practice had always been when I'm trying to think of something as hard as I can, I'll pretend that I'm just a teenager so that my own limitations don't sound like my limitations. They sound like the limitations of a teenager, you know, and it allows me to be a little, to not be fearful when I'm trying really hard to think about something. Hmm. And so, but I tried to see in my my the book that I've just finished, I've tried to figure out, I, I made myself not not do that. I made myself try to be a grown up mm. um, and just um, deal with it. Mm. And that was a real challenge for me. Um, but it's because I noticed that thing and I used it. And then like, I first I did it without knowing what I was doing. And then I used what I, I used it as a safe space. And then mm-hmm. after I noticed that I used it as a safe space, I decided not to do that again. Mm. And uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I wonder too, there's another category of that stuff that I think goes back to your idea of, of wounds that's related to like just the stuff that haunts you. Some of the stuff that haunts you is like, because, because of wounds and you go back and you, it's still, it's still mushy. So you, you keep looking at it and messing with it. Um, but some of them are, some of them just have different psychic roles than that too. Um, I mean, bathrooms i didn't i wanted to write about bathrooms for a really long time and and often tried like i would be like i'm gonna write a story that takes place in a bathroom and that's only place that the whole the whole thing's gonna be in the bathroom but it's not gonna be scatological Mm -hmm. and then i would just and i would try to write it and i didn't i would try to use like old fantasies that i used to have about bathrooms where you know i only had a bathroom to live in how was i going to do it how would i survive how would I retrofit it? Would I dig a tunnel that went in and out, gather mm. food and squirrel it back in? And um, so I, but, but I, I don't really know. Like I wonder, like, so I, so, so I finally took it up. Like it was another thing that I just took up in the book where I was like, I'm going to try and figure out what my thing about bathrooms is. And I just wrote into it. Mm. Really fun. It was really nice. I can remember the first time I tried to say like, okay, I'm going to write a book length thing the idea of, and that was about a kid in high school, um, like just sitting in the shower after some thing, some event that troubled them. Um, images like that or images like people, you know, kind of shorning their hair um, mm-hmm. or, and then there's like the, there's kind of, I mean, there's like a weird versatility to bathrooms because there's, bathrooms at bars there's bathrooms at clubs there's like the bathroom for like someone in active addiction which is i mean when i was younger i got sober pretty young and um 
even like in in the kind of briefer stretch that I had of active addiction, bathrooms were this place where if you were at a party and you wanted to do something that, you know, the other people, if they were just drinking or something, you want to do to do harder drugs, the bathroom was there. If you needed to escape, if you needed to go to like hook up or whatever, stuff like that. Um, and then, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me to think about, okay, like there's that stuff, but then what's, I don't know, the relationship to a bathroom for someone living in a, in hospice or, um, someone, someone's relationship to it. Um, who's got like a colostomy bag or I don't know. It, right. Stuff like that is nice. Cause I mean, if it's the bathroom or if it's heavy metal or if it's uh, dressing up or if it's kind of not determining some gender thing, you, you can start to pull it in different directions, I guess, which is sort of sounds like, I mean, you kind of did the inverse of it, I guess, with the recent one where you saw yourself doing it and moved away from it. Mm-hmm. But even that gesture of moving away is still kind of engaging it in a way too. Yeah. 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 But I also think it's because um, sometimes writing does its work and it lets you, um, and it lets you set things aside. Mm -hmm. You know, it lets you let go of things that needed your attention. Um, You can be done with something in writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a gift. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you working on now? Um, well, there's a book that's coming out in 2022 with FC2 uh, called Shame, where I kind of tried to mine the idea of autofiction as much as I could. Hmm. Like, I, I'm interested in it. Um, but I'm, I'm more interested in like the stuff that Edward St. Alban did with his shorter, the Patrick Melrose novels than I am in kind of the, the Nausgaard books just because You'll have those. have to tell me about the Edward ones. Cause I haven't, I don't know those. Yeah. 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 He was sort of born into like this ridiculously rich, uh, family in England, but then, his father abused him and he want, he wound up writing these they're slimmer. And I think it kind of, that appeals to me because, um, because it seems to fit our, our time now. Nice. Sorry, my daughter's. No apologies here. for daughters <laughs> running through. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I like the idea of like a slim work of autofiction that, doesn't try to go for like a big Proustian thing and really just looks at the self as, as subject matter. And so that one is done and, and will be out in 2022. I'm not sure. It might be over there. Um, and then I'm really, cause I think that the language heavy stuff, I reached a, a, point where that just doing that wasn't really leading me anywhere interesting Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to do constraint stuff Mm -hmm. and so I'm like the thing I'm actively working on right now is I want to do a 50,000 word book without using the letter a Mm -hmm. um and I think I'm about halfway through the writing of that so that's what I'm really that's what I'm working on day in, day out right now. Yeah. And what then maybe you? you can write a really easy book, which is the book that only has the letter A. <laughs> I can write that for you in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I have a quick follow-up question because it's actually linked to, you know, what what I've been doing too. Um, like when you use that term autofiction, what does it mean to you? Um, I mean, I think... Because on the one hand, there's autobiographical fiction or semi-autobiographical fiction where, I don't know, it feels like there's less 
skin in the game or something with something Mm -hmm. like that, where you write about someone who went to a similar college or something and, and you expand on that a little more and create composites of your friends. And it it feels like there's extra maybe padding with something like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas like the auto fiction that I've had a, a response to, um, like Edward Leve's book, uh, Suicide, mm-hmm. or his book, Auto Portrait, there is, like, the vulnerability there is is more risky. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the thing that makes reading it compelling is that you are kind of witnessing that, where a person is, like, maybe comfortably using their name or referring to other stuff that they've written or... or um, just engaging their their own life as subject matter with some level of I think more vulnerability mm-hmm. yeah yeah how do you think of it um you know I the the book that I just finished that's coming out is um it's coming out in October it's called the swank hotel and it is the way that I was thinking about autofiction when I thought, oh, I'm I'm doing some autofiction here mm-hmm. as distinct from autobiographical fiction or or just um fiction that comes out of things in your life mm-hmm. is that it has a very delicate metafictional aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Where like instead of relying on the veil of fiction that asks a reader to um, pretend that there that there's this distinct line between the author of the book and the and a character or characters in the book. Mm-hmm. Like instead of just saying like the, instead of just invoking that conceit, actually sort of trying to um, include an honesty about the reality of reading. Mm-hmm. which is that um, you never totally do that and nobody ever does, <laughs> you know? People like do it and then slip and then do it again and then slip and slide. And so like for me, autofiction is about like um, uh, engaging the slipperiness mm-hmm. of the idea of the things in the book and the idea of the things in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, just t- t- trying to make it, conscious and trying to make it part of the fiction of the book too and sometimes in some ways part of the subject matter of the book so a lot of this book is me trying to figure out um like the ethics of depicting anything Mm -hmm. you know in an environment where you know people feel that they're um they own their stories and they own their lives and that's a very troubling idea for an artist who's mm-hmm. always taking things and you know if you say steal you know what are the good good artists steal great artists whatever you know rot that joke mm-hmm. that thing that cliche that everybody says like that's supposed to be a rallying cry right and mm-hmm. it's under a great deal of fire right at the moment when our whole culture is being totally fucked up around um people saying lies as if they're truths Mm-hmm. And and so it's it's a it's a book that's trying to wrestle with that kind of stuff in a very personal way that mm-hmm. was really freaking hard to write, and I worked mm-hmm. on it for just over a decade. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Who's it being published by? It's coming out with Gray Wolf in October. You said in October. Yeah, yeah. So. That's what I did. Look forward to it. That sounds interesting. Thank you. Thanks. Um, it's great that you have this new book out and also have one down coming down. Like you have one that's coming even as you have one that's just out. That must mm-hmm. be just a feel really like you have some freedom to really play for a while. Yeah, definitely. I realized that I saw someone talking about because they had done a lot of the like mining of their own life and they wrote a book. I don't remember what it was, but they said that they realized that they could have fun writing a book. Mm. And I think I did like, I had fun. I mean, I, I like 
thinking about language and trying to do weird stuff at that level. Um, but this one where I'm just doing an across the board, can't use this letter has proven the most fun because every time I sit down, half of what I'm doing is trying to think, okay, what are words I can use right now? Cause <laughs> so it's not like subject matter driven really. And it's, it's weird. Do you weirdly feel compelled liberating. to find a subject though? Um, I, there's another, there's a book called Gadsby by, I think his name's Ernest Vincent Wright. And he wrote it without the letter E. And then Georges Perec did it too with Avoid. Um, I'd only heard of the Perec. I didn't know there was this other one. Yeah, yeah. And he's he was an American writer. I think he was known for other stuff. But um, And that book sort of focuses on a town. And so that's been like this one structural through line for it is just that I'm sort of, I mean, almost like a Winesburg, Ohio sort of feel where mm-hmm. the subject is whatever's going on in and around this place. And then the thing that's in the moment on my mind is just what words can I use? Right. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. What words can I use? I think is a great final note because I think that's the question that we all have, right? <laughs> <laughs> What words can I use? It's been great talking with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, likewise. Thanks to Grant Meyerhofer and Lucy Corin for joining us this week. Fiction Transmission is made by FC2 with generous support from the Jarvis and Constance Doctorow Family Foundation. This episode was produced by Brian Kahn and engineered by Joelle Thibodeau. The story was read by me, Mia Ellis, and recorded by Max Kessler at Mosaic Audio. You can find FC2 online at fc2.org, on Twitter at FCTWO, and on Instagram at Fiction Collective 2. Please join us next week for another story and a new conversation.